You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Leonard on the far wing, working it into the body, downhill drive, splits the defense, right-handed layup for the claw, dissecting the lane for two. I honestly felt like they really cared a lot, and uh, you know, they want me here, and that's, and that's instead of needing me, so uh, it's, that was a good, that was pretty much one of the reasons. Good morning, it is Halford and Bruff Canucks. Talk edition here on Sportsnet 650. Mike and Jason leaving early for the holidays. So uh, they tapped us on the shoulder. Really true. Classic. Flexing their muscles as the morning show hosts. Taking off a couple days early. Uh, it's myself, Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drantz, who, of course, uh, you normally hear every day on Canucks Talk. We have been cruelly shifted to the morning. And boy, Shout it, out. Hits, it hits different on Sh- the first day. Shout out to all you morning people. You're the real heroes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, we're here. We still have Andy Cole, A-Dog, Hello. behind the glass, and uh, producer Ben Bazrin. Good morning. Uh, here with us as well. So very, very exciting. Uh, we got a big show coming up for you today. Of course, we'll do what happened here in a few minutes. Are they still the dogs without Halford and Bruff here? Does everyone who comes in to well, fill in well, for Ben's one of you guys basketball Ben, so it's just one dog. Basketball Ben and one dog. Is he like you're one of the always dogs. The should do- he be Air dog. Bud then if he's basketball? <laughs> wow, that's pretty, that's good. pretty good. Hey, wow, Whoa. I'm impressed. Look at that. Are, See, we don't. I'm not used to this level of wit this early in the morning. <laughs> me. Can we can we talk about Air Bud? Are we going to talk about? Oh Air Bud right, a lot you, I forgot that Drance has Air Bud takes. I like got Air Bud strong takes for days. Air Bud takes. in a good way or a bad way. Well, I don't know. That's up to you to decide. <laughs> like you like the movie or you don't like the movie. Um, it's not really about the. You movie, know, it's filmed here, right? It's filmed here. Yeah, right? I did know that. I mean, I, I filmed in North Van. Yeah, right at uh, was it Zelke Park? My buddy's really? dad yeah. was one of the state. He worked on the film, so I was an extra in a bunch of scenes. Which one? The first one. The first one. The most realistic one. <laughs> the one that we can at least like believe a little bit. Yeah, you know. Oh, I and remember your rare butt takes now. It is six oh three, baby. <laughs> here we go. We'll do a lot. Do you of, want it? Do you want to do your Airbud? Well, right Grant has now, problems with right the dog let's, playing basketball. Let's get no. I'm fine with a dog beating high school kids at basketball. Oh, okay. My problem is when they draft him in to be like the goalie in the final of the Women's World Cup and stop a penalty shot. He's multi talented. So you're so and you're that's okay where with we draw the line. Yeah, you're okay with the, the He's basketball. A really good dog. At, at <laughs> one point, at, at some point, you get to the to thinking about the physics of whether a dog could actually hit a ball and what would happen to a dog if they were holding a bat in their mouth, which they could not possibly do while looking at the pitcher. <laughs> And then actually connecting. He wins World Series MVP, A-Dog. Yeah, that's way way too unrealistic for me. Way too much. The How- basketball is one thing, but World Series, well, I draw the line there. Especially because he's just beating up high school, or like not even high school, like elementary school kids. It's like, yeah, okay, like he's a really good that's dog. That's true. He's I've a really good boy. bad elementary school basketball. Yeah, like yeah. I'm okay with that. But once you have him winning the baseball That's how the World movie was Series. thought up. You know, like they're watching their kids play, and the yeah. director's like, I bet a dog could You know what would kids. be better than this? A dog. <laughs> Let's get Fireworks. a dog out there. Let's make a movie out of that. Okay. 
Anyways, I do think that every time a new somebody new fills in for one of you guys, mm-hmm. like Ben is doing for Laddie here, right. that you have to think of a dog themed nickname. You're right. For That's them. a good Airbud's pretty good. Airbud is sick. You know, the, the, <laughs> Thank you. I will say too, like since I, I've been doing Airbud takes angrily for like ten years. <laughs> oh, we know. And the culture has shifted so much that like this time, for the first time ever. I had this thought in my head the that I was like, yeah, I will not for the first time ever. I had this moment where I was like, could you imagine like the Fox News coverage of Airbud playing in the Women's World Cup? That's that's how oh long boy. I've been doing these. Anyway, anyways. All right. So maybe we'll do some more Airbud takes later or not. Or maybe Who knows? Not. Maybe we'll just drop. Maybe it we got early. him out. Yeah, we got him out early here. Uh the official automotive sponsor of Alfred and Prof is the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. We are live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, uh, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet? What are you waiting for? And, of course, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And as somebody has already texted in, um, if you if you feel like you are not getting your text read by Halford & Bruff for whatever reason, try your luck here. We don't know the, the morning crowd as well as we know our crowd at, at noon, so... You know, we don't have any preconceived notions about they how can, good they, they can be a little grumpy. How sometimes. good or bad your texts are. So hit us up. See if you've always dreamed of having your text read during the morning show. Uh, take your shot. Dream on! Yeah. Then dream on! <laughs> uh, okay, coming up on the show, Nick Shook from NFL.com. People will believe in Airbud, but not the Canucks PDO crazy world we live in, Austin and Langley. <laughs> there you go. Brilliant. See, Austin I was Langley. wondering how long it's going to take you to say PDO this morning. <laughs> Yeah, like five almost. minutes. Yeah, Just Ben and minutes. I have a drinking game going every time you say it. <laughs> Do you? Take a shot. So the second and third hour of the show won't happen. Very, Guys, it's 6 a.m. Come yeah. on. Very this professional. This a great show, boys. <laughs> what I learned today. Uh, Nick Shuck from NFL.com at 6.30. Saints Rams tonight. And then, of course, big weekend. Uh, as the season winds down, or starts to wind down anyways, uh, in the NFL with lots on the line in terms of playoff positioning. And, um, and all perfectly scheduled to cause friction with your family. Yeah, that's indeed, which a lot of football is, really. Uh, how I, You know, also text in, let me know how you approach it. And this isn't because I'm curious to read them on air. This is because I need help myself. Like, how do you approach getting to watch the games that matter to you this weekend? Because <laughs> I've been, like, dreading it. You know, I've been, like, okay, strategizing. Well, yeah, like, I, I'm, I'm going up to Pemberton, and luckily my dad's coming with us. Mm-hmm. My dad likes football a lot, so, like, at least I can, like, lean on like yeah i'm spending time with my dad nice. you know like that helps but only it only helps so much like i can only i have to pick a couple select games that matter i spend uh i spend christmas day at my sister's place and with her family and, and my other sister and their family so we're all there and it's really clutch because one of my nephews has gotten really into basketball so it's right. great it's like yeah we're spending i'm spending time with my nephew watching basketball <laughs> on christmas day it's yeah. awesome so that was a big development for me that he got into basketball uh okay nick shook from nfl.com uh mike heika senior writer for DallasStars.com. the canucks are playing the stars tonight so we'll get uh the stars side of things from mike and uh, at eight o'clock thomas drance will join the show here on halford and bruff but before we do that let's tell everybody Who? what happened Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? What happened? 
What happened? Brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit bccsa.ca. Uh, we'll start on the ice. Light night in the NHL with only three games on the schedule. Probably the most relevant one from a Canucks perspective. Seattle beats LA 2-1, to one, which means, Drancer, that the Canucks are now ahead. Zero, zero, seven points ahead. Ahead of the LA Kings in the standings. By, by your point, favorite by, metric. By what matters. By point, point percentage. percentage. Good. That's awesome. Now, now you need to win to keep base. Isn't that exciting? Real stakes. Imagine that. Hey, it also means that uh, should things go the Canucks way tonight, both against Dallas, but also between the Golden Knights and the Lightning. They so could be in first. They could be legitimately in first place yeah. in the Pacific Division by points, by points percentage, by any metric at the conclusion of tonight's games. Right. Which is fun. Which would be pretty remarkable. Just it's, as we all couple A couple, couple days uh, before the Christmas break here. Yeah. So, well, and then you have San Jose left on the schedule. Yeah. That's I mean, true. if you're Vancouver, you've got a real chance to send everyone in this city into the holidays with uh, with one heck of a present. Kings weren't very good against the Kraken. Honestly, like I didn't think the Kings were nearly as good as it might have looked if you just looked at the shot counter and Kings- were like, oh, Joey Decord stole it. Like, no, Kings didn't have their game. Kings have scuffled a little bit here after they were red hot. Yeah, but mostly they've played well, and it's just been... Like what happens over the course of an eighty-two yep. game season? Everyone except the Canucks, not for the Canucks. <laughs> but um, but last night they weren't very good, and the back-to-back out of San Jose, right? Like that. I'm telling mm. you, I'm telling you. Always pay attention. If a team's got the first leg of a back-to-back game in San Jose, and then the second in Southern California or in Seattle or in Vancouver uh, or in Vegas, something like that. Like that's always one of the worst schedule losses you can get. Because of the problems flying out of San Jose, because of the fact that you have to take the hour and a half bus ride up to SFO. It's just like always a late night. It's always a nightmare. Teams always really struggle. And and, and vice versa, if you've got the second leg of a back-to-back in San Jose, like when the Canucks lost to San Jose 4-3, right, and played awful, like awful hockey in the third period mm-hmm. especially, um, earlier in the year. San Jose, because of the airport <laughs> you can't fly in or out late. There's bylaws restricting when when people can fly in. Absolute nightmare to play in a compressed schedule uh, environment. Um, the other thing that was just notable for me about this one is, you know, even as of like three weeks ago when I was checking the NHL scoreboard or flipping around between other games, I was focused on the chasing pack for the Canucks, right? You know, the sure. teams, okay, like, because, you know, the Canucks were still in that 500 stretch and, you know, Minnesota had got the new coach bump and maybe Calgary had turned it around a little bit and that's what I was paying attention to. And now, I really think for the rest of the season, the teams you're going to be paying the most attention to by far are LA and Vegas. And we'll see if Edmonton can get in that mix with another incredible hot streak. The gap is huge between the teams at this point, but... Like, this is the type of scoreboard watching we're doing now, right? Like, hey, the, you know, the oh, Canucks yeah. have pulled narrowly ahead by points percentage of the Kings. I mean, that has, like, home ice advantage implications down the road, potentially, for these teams. And even two weeks ago, it was like, well, someone's going to have to run really hot here. I mean, that's the reason Edmonton's loomed large, is that we sort of buy. Like, you you can at least buy that the team with Connor McDavid mm. and Leon Dreisaitl can do something like, they can maybe play at 120-point pace over the rest of the season, you know? I don't buy that Nashville can. I don't buy that Arizona or St. Louis or Calgary or Seattle can. You know, like, uh, no. Like, 
the Canucks would really have to, at this point, it's just the Canucks. You know, like the scoreboard watching is worth doing with LA. It's worth doing with Vegas. Vegas. And other than that, it's just like avoid a massive, massive hole. For the Canucks. That's that's the rest of the season here. Those are the stakes. Uh, okay, so that was uh, Seattle beating L.A. 2-1. to one. Another game on the schedule last night in the NHL. Winnipeg beats Detroit 5-2. And I think the Canucks have quite fairly, because you look at their story as a team and so many of the individual stories on the Canucks, the Canucks have quite fairly gotten most of the attention in Canada of the Canadian teams for what they're doing this year, certainly as a positive story. I mean, there's been lots of attention placed on some of the negative stories from Canadian teams as well. But you look, and the Jets are quietly having a really, really excellent season, not where the Canucks are in terms of uh, in terms of points percentage or goal differential, but not far off either with 41 points in 31 games. They have their neck and neck with the stars for first place in the central. They have a plus 23 goal differential, which is the best in the division. You know, I was not particularly high on the Jets coming into the season, but, you know, you look at what Gabe Velarde is doing after coming over in the Pierre-Luc Dubois trade. He has three points last night. He's been on fire since getting moved up to the first line there. Yeah. Like, how good are the Jets? Are they, are they, they've really, they might be one of the teams that has really caused me to change what I was thinking about them coming into this season. Yeah, they are good. They are good. And one thing I'll say is the injury to Kyle Connor, one of my favorite players, that's sort of created this Ehlers, Shifley, Velarde mm-hmm. top line. You know, sometimes this happens by accident, right? Like the Canucks go on a 10-game losing streak. They're they're just Ali and Vigneault searching for answers. Alex Burrows with the Twins. Let's give it a shot. And then seven years later, we still remember it. Yeah. You know, like sometimes things happen. Kyle Connor goes down. Velarde, Ehlers, Shifley, especially because it sort of addresses a couple of issues that, that Winnipeg has had. Um, you know, shooting themselves in the foot, frankly, over the past few years, like Ehlers never gets enough usage. Well, all of a sudden they have like Blake Wheeler's gone. You've got uh, Kyle Connor hurt and and they kind of have no choice but to be like, hey, Ehlers is our first line. And guess what? Guy's capable of doing it mm-hmm. more than doing it. Guy might be better than Kyle Connor. At Nick, least they're comparable. Nick Ehlers is awesome. He's, he's unbelievable. A, he's a wicked player. He's the most underutilized superstar level player of the last five years. And guess what? When you utilize them appropriately, it's incredible. Mm. And then Velarde, I mean, Velarde's an exceptional two-way winger with a great shot. Like, great. <laughs> you know, if you're able to put a player like that with guys like Shifley and Ehlers, you might be onto something. Certainly looks like the Jets are. That line dominated last night. Like, two goals at 5-on-5, five 13-7 five, on the shot clock. Heavy shift after heavy shift. Uh, they were just in the Red Wings' end. By the right, by the way, the Red Wings sputtering pretty significantly. Yeah. Since adding Patrick Kane, I know the Patrick Kane arbitrary endpoint gives everyone something to glom onto. And and Kane, I mean, everyone knows what I think of Kane's two way game at this point in his career. I'm not everybody, but like certainly I said it a lot. I said <laughs> yeah. it a lot last year. Do you when, not care for it? I don't. I do not care for it. I I think the he's idea the air, that he's like, the airbud of two way game. The idea that he was going to be a big impact player for a Stanley Cup contender this year, I. Did not see that. Well, but, but but last year it was accepted that like wow, what a big yeah. haul for the Rangers, and I was like, no, that's exactly what they don't need. Anyway, um, it's it's nice to point to, but but what's really happened is Detroit's shooting percentage. Well, I was gonna say, and you know, I don't want to get into a big PDO debate right now, but for as much as people, oh, you don't, <laughs> no, I know, and I know I'm playing with fire here with you sitting next <laughs> to me, but. 
if you were going back like a month, and you know, as much as why do people only bring up PDO with the Canucks? Well, if you looked at any measurement, the Red Wings the were Red right Wings there were with so them. overheated. Yeah, right. And like, wow, they're off to this great start. But if you looked a little bit deeper, they were not controlling play very well. They were getting a lot of the same bounces the Canucks were. And what's happened is that's dried up. It's not because of Patrick Kane, <laughs> but he hasn't done a lot to arrest it either. But yeah, it's it's if you're looking for another example of this principle being applied, that's not the Canucks. Yeah, like look to the Red Wings of this season. Hundred percent. Let's talk basketball. <laughs> Hold on. The other thing I wanted to mention on the ice, I do want to talk a little NBA. You want to talk Ethan Bear? Uh, well, qu- I just want to mention the Capitals beat Quite the, the Islanders. Quite a juicy quote by you. Capital- it? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Capitals beat the Islanders 3-2 in OT. I actually think the score is only notable because of what didn't happen, which is Alex Ovechkin scoring. Still stuck on five goals in 29 games at this point, and still, uh, by my math, what, 67 goals behind Wayne Gretzky for the all-time record. So... You know, that's uh, that's starting to become much more of a conversation than it was coming into this season. And you can he's look shooting and like, a Connor Garland like four point. Yeah, no, he's snake bit. So it's not as if he's never going to start start scoring again. He will start scoring again. But it's also a, a raw numbers and an age thing, right? Totally, like yeah. you, it's got to happen soon. The positive regression has got to happen soon for him to still uh, be in the running for that record. Uh, and then the other thing is, and, you know, I do want to play it, uh, Ethan. We heard it in the intro. We'll play it again. But Ethan Bear. Not officially signing with the Capitals, but skating with the team and the team announcing, I believe, that they intend to sign Ethan Bear at some point in the future when he's uh, ready to get on the ice. And making and help him available team. officially yeah. in like, team content. So <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. pretty sure that one's in the drawer. Yeah, I would say so. I would say he's good to go there uh, in Washington. And, you know, speaking to the media in an official capacity uh, as as a guy skating with the Washington Capitals, <laughs> Ethan Bear. is official capacity. Oh, it is. It was like it was like a scrum sure. arranged by the Capitals. Okay, it was speaking of my capacity as a guy, as a guy skating, skating with, with the Washington Capitals. Um, <laughs> That's had, too long for the Chiron, Jamie. He had this to say about his decision to sign with the Caps. I honestly felt like they really cared a lot and uh, you know they want me here and that's and that's instead of needing me so uh, it's that was a good that was pretty much one of the reasons so I've seen people interpret this as a shot at the Canucks and I I think maybe Canucks players maybe it's a shot at Canucks players (laughs) (laughs) let's just really stir it up and I think the thing is (laughs) they only wanted me back because they needed me like free agency is a bit free agency is a business decision I think in general we get way we read way too much emotional stuff into players' free agency decisions. This is like a raw business career decision for Ethan Bear. And I don't think he's saying he's mad at the Canucks. I think what he's saying is this was the best fit for me. Like they wanted me and that translates to opportunities and a better contract and a better situation for me personally. And that's what I have to that's how I have to make my decision. Like, I don't interpret that as like, oh, the Canucks really screwed up that relationship or he's mad at the Canucks or anything like that. Um, I don't know. I don't know what he meant by it, but uh, I don't really see it as like a particularly pointed shot. I certainly don't see how you could interpret it as a shot at management. The only possible spin I can have, honestly, is like, you know, they. I didn't feel like they. I was wanted in the room. You know, but they would have had me back because they know they needed a right-handed defenseman. That's the only possible. Like, what could he possibly mean about the Canucks organizationally with that comment? That they that they wanted to reluctantly sign him. 
Well, why would they, they reluctantly sign him? Because they, they need, need him. a right shot defenseman. Oh, because they need him. As be- he said, they need him as opposed to want him. Exactly. All right. So, like, connected to them deciding not to qualify him? Like, I'm just saying, I it's can't. It's all speculative, but I mean, that's well, well, that's what people infer from the comments. That, that because they didn't tender a qualifying offer. Well, I think it would yeah. be like. Okay, well, that makes sense, though. That makes sense. If you yeah. if you non-tender a player, like, I, I was bringing this up. I was like, the fact that the Canucks are even in the running is impressive. Because players take it personally when they're non-tendered, when they're cut loose. You know, like that, I mean... And rightfully so. Bear would have cost $2.5 million to, to qualify. Yeah, no, it was... And also the injury, right? I mean, if he didn't get injured, it would be maybe a completely different story. Well, oh, almost certainly it would have Definitely would have been. Because yeah. they needed a right-handed defenseman for $2.5 million. But once he was injured, I don't think there was any way they could qualify him, right? Well, they could have. But They could have. They could have, but it wouldn't have made sense. I mean... I, it would have made sense. Like you absolutely can choose to do whatever you want. You know, like they they went out, they spent eleven no, no, no. million dollars. Yeah, no, but I'm saying to with the uncertainty around the injury, right? Like they needed. I think they needed that money going into the summer available, not on the shelf. Potentially they they, they used January. it. They used it well enough that certainly you wouldn't second guess the decision, right? But I mean, teams have teams make choices. You have choices like. You would have signed him. He would have been on LTI. It's not like you would have even hit your books yet. Yeah, but you'd also know it's coming off, so it's not like you just have that money to spend. You know what I mean? Like he's you got to add him to the roster it, at some point. It would have been complicated too because you can only exceed the upper limit by a certain amount, right? Yeah. But I, I mean, nonetheless, I'm just saying it's impressive that they managed the relationship to the point where they were front runners ten days ago. You know, because because players do take it personally. So maybe that's what it was. But I don't. I, I just don't understand. Like I, I don't know. I don't understand what the I, I I don't understand what the shot was. I don't really get the context of what he was yeah. saying. I mean, so, again, it's just I can't overreact to a quote. I don't understand, a dog. Oh, come on. My overall take is fun to overreact. <laughs> did I overreact anyway? Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, it was a measured overreaction. Players make though. decisions in free agency, and I I think it's a, a bit of a fool's errand to like read between the lines on every decision and say like, okay, what does it mean about my team that they went the other way? Unless there's something really uh, explicit, which I don't think there was there me from Ethan Bear. Okay, in the uh, in the NBA, because this is our chance to talk things other than the Canucks and hockey. I'm so it's very excited. exciting for us. We've got a football guest too. We have a football Let's guest go. coming up in a few minutes. But last night, uh, Joel Embiid drops 51 on the Timberwolves. And you haven't been paying attention to the NBA. T-Wolves have like T-Wolves are a phenomenal defense. Go specifically on the defensive end with Rudy Gobert and of course, Carl Anthony Towns. Like phenomenal defensive team. Gobert was all over. Gobert was all over um, Bam this week. Like just this week, we saw Gobert crush Bam Adebayo, who's, of course, the centerman who made it to the Eastern Conference Final. And then Joel Embiid goes in and just, like, suns the the T-Wolves. Maxi was great as well. The uh, The Sixers look amazing. Embiid has been on a tear. Also. Yeah. The T-Wolves began that game on an 8 nothing run, which meant I got the live spread. <laughs> Congratulations which means I to got, you. Which means I got the live spread at a very favorable number. Congratulations to you. Embiid has been on an absolute tear, and there was this idea coming into this game, like, oh, look at the, the schedule he's been doing against, which has been very soft. Like, they've played the Pistons a couple times and some other bad teams recently. Then he goes out and does it against, you know, probably the best defense in the league uh, this year and, and drops 50 and kind of puts that idea to bed. The fascinating thing for me is, of course, Embiid wins the MVP last year over Jokic, and if you read a lot of it was a bad call. Yeah. Like uh, especially a lot of the people more into the, like the statistical analysis of basketball will say no, like, it this was, is ridiculous. It was wild. The like, people were just going out of their way not to, to give, give it to, it to her. And then and then and then Jokic like 
went and did the thing where it's like, oh, right, this guy's clearly the best basketball playing yep. human on the planet. And it doesn't really matter which way the MVP voters went. I actually think, like, if you were really stumping for Embiid and were that plainly wrong and, like, within five, like, I would have felt the need to apologize. And the funny, but the funny thing now is that the MVP voters have really put themselves in a tough position because Embiid, because so far this year, he is the MVP, but it's like, well, we made a mistake once. And also, are we going to double down and give it to him back to back? He's averaging 35, 12, and six. I know I have him in fantasy. It's fantastic. So do I. Um, the, here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, though. In addition to the fact that it's like now Embiid deserves the MVP without question if, if voting were to be conducted today. And now, because he also flamed out so harshly in the playoffs, nothing he does in the regular season matters. He's mm. now in that zone, too, where it's like we need to see him not choke in the playoffs. And like... I usually defend the guys who get the playoff choker label because most of the time it's like, well, they're on a bad team or it's situational. Like, go look at Embiid's playoff stats for his career. It's not good. And go look at them the last two years in particular. Like, he was they, – they were attacking him directly, the Celtics were in Game 7 last year. Um, whereas whereas we have none of those concerns with Jokic. Like, it's it's such a weird spot that you get into when you don't just do the obvious right thing. Yeah, there's a cost to it. I, I I feel really bad for those for those voters. Uh, all right, we're gonna Let take a break here. <laughs> They're in a pickle. Uh, it's Halford and Brock with pickle with Jamie Dodd and Thomas <laughs> Trance filling in here. Nick Shook from NFL.com will tee up Saints Rams and look ahead to the weekend with Nick. That's up next here on Sportsnet 650. The most comprehensive Canucks coverage in the city. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. It's Halford and Bruff here. Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance filling in live from the Kintech studio. The official automotive sponsor of Halford and Bruff is the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, as a reminder, as usual, we'll do what we learned at 830. So get your submissions in. No prize today. Just the, the pride of having your text read on the air on the radio. So hit us up. 650-650. Hashtag WWL. What you learned over the last 24 hours in Sports now joining us to talk a little NFL, including the Thursday night game on tap tonight from NFL.com. He is Nick Shuck. Nick, thanks for doing this. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's our pleasure. And Saints Rams tonight. And, you know, I was I was talking to my co-host Rance here before the show. And like, I feel like I have a really hard time differentiating the kind of mass of, you know, seven and seven or one game below 500, one game above 500 teams in the NFL this year. And, you know, both these teams right there at seven and seven and seven hanging around in the NFC playoff race. What do you expect to see out of these two teams tonight? Uh, well, I, I mean, I, I expect a Rams win. And, and the reason I say that is over the last month, they've been playing better football. The, the the records are identical, but the style in which they've gotten there is vastly different. Um, the Saints have spent most of the season trying to figure out who they are or whether they want to play consistent football or not. Uh, and that begins with Derek Carr. If you look at it, it's got, you know, 
you look at their schedule, two wins to start the season, two losses to follow, a win, a loss, a loss. I mean, they, they basically just do this all year. A couple of wins, a couple of losses throughout the entire season, which is how they've gotten seven and seven. And, and none of it really tells us anything. They, they got, they fell far behind the Lions a few weeks ago, then, you know, fought all the way back to make it close. They beat the Colts by 11. They only beat the Bears by seven. They dominate the Patriots and what was their best game all year. I don't know what this team is. And, and it, a lot of it is due to its quarterback because he's either been hurt or he's been afraid to take risks or he's been letting it rip. It's just a week by week basis. Whereas the Rams, you know, I've watched them play obviously every week, but really played good football since mid November. Uh, since they came out of their bye week, they're four and one in their last five. The only game they lost was an overtime to the Ravens, which they could have very, you know, easily won. It, it was that close of a game. And uh, and they've got some legitimate victories to their to their name in that stretch, including wins over the Seahawks and the Browns. So uh, I think that you'll see the more consistent team with a more consistent quarterback and an offense that at least has an identity and a team that's playing more complimentary football. Uh, when it, how it plays out when it comes to, you know, the standings and who makes the playoffs, that's a different story because the – Saints are in the worst division in football, known as the NFC South, and they are in a tie for first place with the Buccaneers right now, while the Rams need to keep winning just to keep pace in a wild card race that is, of course, tightening up very much. So it's a very important game. They all are at this time of year, this one especially so. And, uh, and But I do expect the Rams to probably be the more predictable team. But then again, this has been an unpredictable season. Saints defense has been pretty decent all season, even as the offense has listed uh, on without an identity. But over the last month, we've seen some seams show in terms of their ability to stop the run. Is this a big Kyron spot? If Kyron can hang on to the football, <laughs> if Kyron doesn't fumble the ball twice like he did last week, uh, I think, yeah, that would that would be a big spot for him. I think, you know, what's really interesting about the Rams this year is not only the resurgence of Kyron Williams once he came back from, you know, injured reserve and everything else, but um, the way that they've just been able to piece together this backfield. You know, mm. I'm looking, sitting back there watching. God, Bryce Freeman's getting significant carries. Uh, <laughs> and, and even last week, he got six carries. Uh, they've done it with a number of different guys. Obviously, Kyron has carried the load since he's been back. So this could be one of those games. And the Saints, you know, the, part of the reason they're so hard to predict is because everything you know about them doesn't seem to be true from week to week. I mean, this is a team that was carried by its defense the last couple of years. Well, they struggled to figure out what to do with quarterback. Well, they finally get their quarterback, supposedly, and suddenly their defense isn't really fitting, you know, living up to the expectation anymore. So um, I, it, they're a tough team to watch sometimes just because uh, the offense, number one, because yeah. you know, watching Derek Carr with the football team would be really thrilling or really frustrating. But two, it's just uh, they're they're not the same stingy group they were on that side, on the defensive side at all. They've been in recent years. I mean, you know, you give up 33 points to the Lions, you give up 24 points to the Falcons. The Falcons team that just was only able to muster six points in the rain against the Panthers. Uh, you know, it's there's just no consistency there. So it could be a Kyron game. It, it could, as long as the game is on with the football. So that's Saints Rams tonight, the first game of the uh, the week sixteen schedule. The last game of the week sixteen schedule on Christmas Day on Monday is a good one. It's the Ravens visiting the 49ers, uh, two teams atop their conference. And you know, the Niners have just looked so good at times this season. I think they're you know, for me, certainly the the heavy favorite to win the Super Bowl at this point. What do the Ravens need to do to have a chance at that game in San Francisco? Oh, man, that's a great question because what I look at this game as is is a measuring stick. It's, you know, it's kind of late for a measuring stick, but I think it is yep. know, very much a measuring stick. It could be a yardstick, it could be a ruler, whatever you want. 
because the Ravens schedule to this point, I think that, you know, it's, it's obviously tough to get to 11 wins and be 11 and three, but if you look at their, their collection of wins, I'm not super impressed by some of them. The most impressive one this entire year, I think was a 38 to six dominance of uh, the Detroit lions, but they got Houston in week one when Stroud, you know, was making his NFL debut. They got the Bengals with an injured Joe Burrow in week two. Then they got the Bengals again with an injured Joe Burrow by halftime. Uh, and in between there, you know, they've beaten teams like Tennessee, to, you know, Arizona, Seattle. Uh, it, it's it's just that I feel like they haven't been tested. They, they, they have found ways to win games against teams that are playing better football as of late, but this is a different piece in San Francisco. So, the, the game plan is true for anybody, not just the Ravens. You got to stop the run. You got to stop Christian McCaffrey, which is an incredibly difficult thing to do. And you got to get after Brock Purdy without you know showing your hand in, in an effort to get after him. Uh, I think that the Ravens are equipped with an excellent defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald, to be able to get that done. Um, but it, it's going to be a massive test for them because the 49ers are playing football. I, I've never felt this confident about a team in Week 16 and their chances to reach the Super Bowl than I do the 49ers right now. They look like they are just head and shoulders above everybody else in the NFL. They are the sole elite team. And uh, if the Ravens want to join that group, because they haven't looked like it yet, uh, getting a win would certainly go a long way. Yeah, it really seems like the Niners in the territory of like major injury or just some incredible run of flukes in a game to prevent them from going to the Super Bowl. But we'll see. Strange things happen uh, all the time in the NFL. For the Ravens, you know, as you said, maybe some questions about their strength of schedule, how they've gotten to this 11 and 3 record. Do you think they've done enough to be labeled as the favorites in the AFC right now? Or are they still just kind of in that pack with the other contenders in the conference? And I'm pretty conflicted on this because. Uh, you know, the Ravens, you know, talked about how the Saints aren't consistent. Uh, the Ravens aren't in the same category of inconsistency, but they they have, there's been games where they've looked incredible. Um, I think the Keaton Mitchell breakout game was one. Uh, there's been a few other instances early in the season in which they did. I think when they beat Cleveland in Cleveland was uh, a pretty dominant game. But then there's been other games where I'm just like, I don't know, man, like the, the ball is bouncing the right way for this team. I think that the Ravens are where Kansas City is in terms of quality. I think that they are a nine and five, maybe a Miami ten and four team, and they've had the ball bounce their way a couple times to get to eleven and three. So I'm not ready to put them as a favorite because I think the AFC is wide open. And the reason I I think that is I look at the seven teams currently in the playoff standings right now. You got Baltimore, Miami, Kansas City, Jacksonville, Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Indianapolis. I think any one of those teams could beat Baltimore. And if you're a favorite right now, I would have to sit back and think, well, one of those teams, I don't, you know, if it was last year at this time and and I'm looking at who's in the wild card race at that time, I'm thinking nine and eight Miami's not beating, you know, this because that was the Skylar Thompson Dolphins at that point last year. So, but right now I feel like any of those teams could beat Baltimore. So I can't make them the favorite. There is no favorite in the AFC. It's wide open. If Houston gets in there and they are able to go play Baltimore, they get out of the first round, they go play Baltimore in the second round. Uh, I could see C.J. Stroud leading them to victory there. Same with Buffalo, who's still lurking. Um, A lot can happen here, so I have a very tough time making them the favorite like I would with San Francisco. Are are we at a point where we need to start putting what San Francisco is doing in historical context as opposed to the context of how they match up with teams like Dallas uh, in the NFC who they've already sort of throttled? Um, You know what we can do? I'll, I'll meet you halfway. We can give Christian McCaffrey the MVP. How about that? Mm. Because that would that would make enough of a mark in history to properly capture this team. At least at least go in some sort of direction toward 
you know, memorializing this team, you know, making the, the venerated bunch that, you know, teams of past decades have been for such statistical outputs, but none of it really matters if they don't win a Super Bowl. I mean, I hate to say it, but um, what they're doing right now is incredibly impressive. They also, you know, are not undefeated. So we're not talking about, you know, 2007 Patriots situation here. Uh, they did have their little slide. Luckily for them, you know, they've, they've largely stayed healthy. They got hurt early enough. They had time to come back. They avoided catastrophic injury and they got, you know, they're, they worked their kinks out of their system by week nine. And, and that's just about the perfect time considering it's an 18 week season. And then you hit your stride and finish strong. So let's say they go in there and they go home and they, they dominate Baltimore. Let's say they beat them by, I don't know, 13 points. And then they have at Washington, which will be a lay down game for the commanders. And then the Rams, the Rams fighting for the playoff lives in week 18. If they win all three of those games and, and do a decent amount of dominating in that, process then yeah we'll be looking at a 14 and 3 team and and a team that's that's done a, a number of different you know things really well on both sides of the football you brought Not up to mention the fact that they've they've weathered you know some of the guys that they've lost so yeah it's it's definitely you know it's, it's definitely quite a story if they continue on this pace excuse me there nick um you brought up cmc for mvp um, so uh, uh, can i infer from that that you're not team mvp must go to a quarterback um, yeah, I, I think that we are handcuffing ourselves just a quarterback. Mm. It's the most important position in sports, but that doesn't take away the value. I, I'm really bummed out Tyreek Hill hurt his ankle because right. I, I thought he had a really good case to make. I mean, watching that Miami offense with and without him, yeah, it was startling until Miami went and played the Jets last <laughs> weekend. had no problem without him, yeah. uh, which I think that's the aberration, not really the, the rule. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, if you look at what McCaffrey's done this year, and he leads the league in carries, he leads the league in rushing yards. Uh, he's, I think he's near, he's pretty close to 2,000 scrimmage yards overall with rushing yards and receptions, and he, or I mean receiving yards. And he's got like close to 300, I, think, I believe it's right around 300 touches total. And again, like I say with Tyreek Hill, um, you know, when you take him out of the offense in San Francisco, they get worse. Uh, and of course that's going to be the case for any premier player, but it, I mean, I watched what happened to them when they played the Browns, you know, they lost Debo and Christian McCaffrey really quickly in that game. And, uh, they struggled and, you know, the weather wasn't the best, but it was still pretty early in the season, but they did not look like the same team. And I think McCaffrey is the guy that is the guy that unlocks that offense. So, uh, I think that he very much could be an MVP. Well, I think the the thing that unites both Tyreek and Christian McCaffrey is they're not just really good skill position players. It's they they're unique, right? They have unique traits that other great wide receivers or other great running backs don't have. And so it's those traits, and you know, to the credit of Mike McDaniel and Kyle Shannon using those traits that unlocks those offenses where you couldn't just plug another really good running back necessarily into uh, the Niners scheme. It needs to be Christian McCaffrey and what he brings. And I think that's the kind of thing that builds a really impressive MVP case for him right i would agree um it's it's the way that shanahan teams up that offense he's done it with like a, a collection of backs in the past he's done it with a raheem mostert and you know whoever else you might want to list you could run down there's been a lot of running backs there in the last few years uh, <laughs> found success but nobody's been able to handle every part of the job mm. quite like uh like christian mccaffrey has so i mean he's a special player i'm i'm really glad that i hate to say this because it, it makes it, it pains me for Panthers fans, but I'm really glad that he got out of Charlotte and he got traded to the 49ers because the rest of the football world was able to come to appreciate 
how good of a football player he is instead of a guy who is often injured for a bad Panthers team. So, you know, sometimes things all work out for the best when it comes to the football gods, and I think it's working out for him quite well. Now, Purdy remains the the far away betting favorite uh, in the futures markets to win the MVP, right? We, we look back in history and see only one non-quarterback has won the MVP award dating back to 2007. Um, I, you know, I, I get the sense from following this conversation that there's a, um, a sentiment among voters that like the quarterback position has evolved to become effectively like an executive position within a team environment. And that as a result of the enhanced complexity of NHL, uh, NFL offenses, excuse me, you can tell I'm Canadian there, um, NFL <laughs> offenses, um, you know, the, the award must go to a quarterback. It's just simply too hard. Um, a position these days it too too far elevated above all the others uh, to not be considered. Um, do you think there's a realistic shot that a non-quarterback wins? I, I know CMC and, and Tyreek will have decent cases, and there hasn't been a quarterback who's really elevated himself uh, above the pack. Is this the year we see uh, we see a reversion to a non-QB MVP in the NFL? Yeah, I mean, it's... Part of me thinks if we didn't get an Adrian Peterson MVP when he flirted mm. with you know all those rushing records, yeah, God, what was that seven, eight, nine years ago now? Yeah, um, that we'll never get that. But at the same time, it you know I do QB index every week and and rank all the quarterbacks, and it's been pretty tough to really identify. I mean, Dak Prescott was kind of headed toward an MVP you know, victory yep. until he went to Buffalo and didn't do anything <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> against the Bills. I mean, just just really, really struggled. And that kind of left the door open again for uh, somebody else to come into the MVP race and take the lead. And and I don't I don't know. I mean I've 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 bounced around like like I believe Brock Curry's gonna be my new number one in T V index right now. Mm-hmm. This going this week. So there's a little inside info but <laughs> two of about Loa and Patrick Mahomes have been in that top three and I think Dak slid down to four and Lamar Jackson's still on the outside none of those guys have really put together a season where I sit back and that like it's not an Aaron Rodgers season of a couple of years ago uh it's just it's not a Lamar Jackson of 2019 type of season statistically he's not even leading the, leading the NFL in passing yards that would be Tua but he does have a 29 to seven touchdown interception ratio that this being Purdy, um, I think it's tight and it's tight because nobody has taken the steps to separate themselves, which leaves the door open in my opinion for a running back or a Tyree kill. If he didn't hurt his ankle to come in there and, and grab the MVP. And, and I think it's, it can be McCaffrey. The, the problem is, is their teammates, <laughs> you know, and right. your teammates, usually it's the best player on one of the best teams, which is overly reductive, but it is what it is. Um, I, and if, if it comes down to that, you know, the fact that the 49ers are the best team in football, it's going to go to the quarterback as much as I hate to say it, because I'm not part of the voting populace. And, and I can tell you how the voters vote. And mm-hmm. It tends to be toward quarterback. Uh, hey, Nick, I know you're based in Cleveland. So how on earth are Joe Flacco and the Cleveland Browns doing what uh, Joe Flacco has done over the last couple of weeks, chucking 300 yards a game and throwing touchdowns and, and winning games there? The Browns are an operation that are held together by spare bike parts and duct tape, <laughs> Maybe a little bit of chewing gum. Um, and somehow they're finding a way to go down the hill at top speed without the bike falling apart in the middle of your descent down the hill. Uh, it's, it's been like a roller coaster for the people in this town this year. And they've had every reason I've, I've been very curious to watch ticket markets, especially in this city this year and, mm. and watch the demand for games. 
and um, and the the Chicago tickets were impossible to move. Uh, you know, the, the prices were much lower below what what's considered to be market value. The weather wasn't good, but this is also a team that's eight and five. Cleveland doesn't get this type of teams every year, but they had to endure yet another week of bad injury news. It seems like every week somebody else, two or three key contributors end up on IR. And you're seeing guys like Daron Harmon promoted from the practice squad. And I mean, they had to go get Pierre Strong months ago to try to rebuild the backfield once they lost Nick Chubb. They're on their fourth starting quarterback. We can continue to go down the list. At one point in the game on Sunday, four of their five offensive linemen that were out there were either second or third stringers. Oh. The only starter, actual starter, was Wyatt Teller, the right guard. They're in the third center, the tackle, the starting right guard, their second uh, left guard, and their second left tackle. Um, so there's every reason in the world for these Browns to not be where they are, and yet they continue to find ways to win. Um, you know, they're 9-5. and five. Kevin Stefanski has a very strong case for Coach of the Year based on what he's been able to do with his team. Because, look, we looked at Jim or John Harbaugh excuse me, uh, in recent years and thought, man, he's got a strong case for Coach of the Year to get the Ravens to the doorstep of the playoffs after losing Lamar Jackson and losing, you know, J.K. Dobbins or whatever it was. I'm pretty sure these Browns have lost infinitely more players than those Ravens even have, and yet they've found ways to be competitive. So, And Miles Garrett's not 100% either. I don't care what he says. I can tell he's not 100%. And um, and they continue to win. So it's I, – I wish I could explain how they're doing it. Uh, <laughs> it's – it's great play calling and offensive scheme by Kevin Stefanski. I thought he's really matured when it comes to situational calling um, down the second half of this season. Instead of trying to get too cute and be the smartest guy in the room, he's he's, he's found a, a much better groove. And I think you know working with Joe Flacco makes his job a little bit easier too. Man, Joe Flacco can still spin it. And if he was David Njoku's quarterback for the rest of David Njoku's career, that man would end up in Canton. And by that man, <laughs> I mean David Njoku. <laughs> Uh, based on their report. So uh, uh, just it's weird, man. It's a weird story. It's fun to watch. We'll see how far they go. But at this point, they're playing with house money. Njoku also has the most favorable, imaginable fantasy schedule over the balance here. Got to get a fantasy question in you. It's the fantasy playoff semifinals for anyone whose teams are still alive. And Joe Flacco, okay, has outperformed Patrick Mahomes by, by, by fantasy points if you're playing half PPR or full PPR. Since becoming the Browns starter, he faces the Texans on Sunday, Christmas Eve. And, of course, Patrick Mahomes will play the Raiders the next day. Who are you starting, Mahomes or Joe Flacco? Wow. Uh... <laughs> it shouldn't be a hard question, but it's a hard question. <laughs> well... Mahomes has one receiver he can count on and yep. two total pass catchers he can count on. Yep. Rasheed Rice and Travis Kelsey. Yep. The Texans defense just put a really good game together against Will Levis and the Titans yep. last week. I mean, I, I don't mean to be overly reactionary, but I feel like Houston's defense is actually coming together. Mm. Joe Flacco is good for an, inter- an interception or two a game. He is. Oh, yeah. He's just going to keep he's gonna keep slinging it out there. He don't care. He's going to keep letting it rip. And the Browns are not as good of a team on the road as they are at home. So I think I'm going to go Chiefs at Arrowhead Christmas Day against the Raiders. Let's go Mahomes. They'll, they'll figure it out. Kadarius <laughs> Tony is going to find a reason to avoid getting a lump of coal in his stocking this year. He's going to catch uh, uh, at least oh one pass. I'm, I'm betting against that. I'm betting against <laughs> yeah. that. I don't know if it, he'd have to catch like five touchdowns to get on the nice list one, at no, this I point. I said one catch. Okay. All he needs is one catch. Okay, he's struggling to do that right now. Uh, Nick, appreciate the time, man. Enjoy the games this weekend and uh, have a great holidays. 
All right, guys. Thanks. You too. Yeah, that is Nick Shook of NFL.com joining us here uh, on the show. Hold on. Hold on. I have a question for you. <laughs> Sit down, Trance, as Trance walks off. Brendan in Nanaimo, Texas. This is fantasy football questions from the listeners. This is right up your alley. Brendan in Nanaimo says, a Stroud is my QB. He's hurt. I picked up Flacco off waivers. He's questionable. No, no. Should I go for Baker Flacco. instead of riding it out with Flacco? No. Flacco is Ooh. just... Flacco is just old, and so they're they're resting him in practice. He's going to play. And Baker plays a Jaguars team that we don't know whether or not they'll have Trevor Lawrence, and they're not going to have Zay Jones, and they're not going to have Christian Kirk. So I, I think there's a real world where, like, that's a very tough game script for Baker. You mm-hmm. know, I, I think I think the. I think the Jaguars are going to try and run the ball. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'd be a little nervous about that one, although the Jags' defense is a pass funnel in and of itself. I, I think I think you stick with Flacco. Flacco's going to go super aggressive. The Stroud absence actually hurts Flacco, in my view, an Baker. awful lot. Oh, no, no, no Flacco. Flacco. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. because it reduces the possibility of, of a, like shootout. a back and forth yeah. shootout. So, but I, I, I think on the injury to Flacco, I wouldn't worry about it. It's just he's no, old. Flacco's in. He's old. Yeah, so they're like, yeah, practice. don't practice. Don't worry. Well, and he's got so much to play for. You know, like that's the other thing. Like guys like T. Higgins, like T. Higgins has an opportunity during your fantasy playoffs to show that he can be an alpha mm. number one receiver. Like these games are worth hundreds, 150 million to him, not to mention the playoff shot for his team. Like those are the guys you want. Flacco, who's playing for more than Flacco? You know, another, another starting job in the NFL, maybe given that he's been no seriously yeah. like since he started playing, he's been like anyways but yeah yeah but that's not enough for Flacco Flacco's not happy being a backup he <laughs> needs to start <laughs> all right we're gonna go to break uh, we'll do the whiteboard which we usually do on Canucks talk in the next segment uh, your deep dive into the Canucks that's coming up next here on Halford and Bruff Sportsnet 650